Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where each week we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems and how our guests have turned a problem into an opportunity. This week, I'm talking to Tim McCarthy, author of Raising Four-Dimensional Children in a Two-Dimensional World, which takes a unique approach to parenting, beginning with prenatal care and continuing through the teenage years, providing the vital information parents need when it comes to raising a family, especially if they want positive solutions. Tim. I am so excited to get a chance to talk. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and in, in inviting me. I appreciate Absol- it. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, we, we might as well start. How did you get your start? What, what's your background? My background is education. Okay. I've been an educator for 40 years. Uh, for the, I guess, younger viewers who are trying to figure out their way, I went to college, got a degree in education. Uh, so I could teach English, and then I went out to find myself. I was a child of the 70s, uh, so I waited some tables and took a motorcycle trip across the country and uh, worked in a hotel and moved some furniture, and then finally decided it was time to get back to what I had intended and went to teach school. So I sent out maybe two hundred and over 200 applications around the state of Florida, got a job in a place that was so small that one day I came out of the classroom and there was a horse tied up outside the classroom. (laughs) But I got good recommendations, uh, got into a good private school, which was my background, uh, and stayed in the private schools from then on uh, for about nine more years, became an administrator. As much as it was fun being back in high school and being a coach and enjoying it, uh, I was also practicing the martial arts, mm-hmm. and that kind of became my first love. But at the same time, I got fired as the basketball coach. <laughs> I was I, I was too strict on these kids, and it turns out that year with an under the new coach, they were caught drinking beer on the bus and had a mm-hmm. big problem. So I, I guess that kind of proved that they needed the strictness. But anyway, uh, so I was fired as the coach. I was the dean of students, which was the cop, the punisher. And so I'd had a half a day of bad kids and a half a day of basketball. And they took the basketball away from me. So I said, I'm out of here. Right. And I went back and I started thinking, what would I do if I won the lottery tomorrow? I said, well, I'd practice martial arts full time. So I went to my master at the time and said, can I do this? And he said, you can, you have to volunteer for the first month. Okay. So this is like the old Kung Fu movie where you have to wait outside the temple uh, before you get let in. Right. So I volunteered for the first month. Everything went well. uh, And I was with him for over 30 years. There you go. So, So, I mean, so what brought you to write this book? As I was not just teaching martial arts, but I eventually moved up. Uh, We we would advise somewhere between seven and 1200 schools, depending on what year across the country and Canada. And one of the programs we worked on from uh, popularizing was the after-school martial arts. Uh, mm-hmm. You've probably seen them in your community, after-school martial arts, summer camp. Sure. Uh, we didn't invent it. We partnered with a guy who was doing it well, and then we made it popular. Uh, and then I took my educational background, 
What I love about the martial arts is that it deals with all four dimensions of our experience. Mm -hmm. You have to have physical skill, but there's also a, a big mental component. There's an emotional component, the confidence that we give kids is amazing. And actually in adults, it, yep. it worked wonders for me, even as a as an early adult. And then the spiritual side, which I like to say, it's important to know how to punch somebody, but it's much more important to know when to punch somebody and when not to punch somebody. Yep. So that's the moral, the spiritual side of the martial arts. And so I, I didn't invent those four categories or four dimensions. I learned them but I developed them and made them available to hundreds of schools across the country to teach in their after-school programs. And then I retired. And I said, well, that's a great program. Uh, we, you know, we've done wonders for kids. How can I bring this to the average parent? Mm -hmm. Write a book. There and you so go. I created Raising Four-Dimensional Children in a Two-Dimensional World. And it, like you said, from prenatal care all the way through the crazy adolescent years, it breaks down what the brain is capable of during that age group, and then how to address that physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Right. How to deal with all, all four dimensions. So, I mean, it, your, your book's a little bit different in that people can buy, say, a, a, a single chapter that, that's relevant to, to the age range of child that they're currently dealing with, Right. Absolutely. I, I figured, how can I make this available to everyone, even on the tightest budget? And on my website, you can buy the chapter for your child, especially, I mean, imagine you're a new parent right. and you don't know what the heck to do with this new baby. Here's the owner's manual that you didn't get with your baby <laughs> that has enough detail for you to get through it without a good mother and father and grandfather Right. If you're fortunate enough to have them. And again, it's only 99 cents for that chapter. Oh, there you go. There you go. I mean, so that's there are lots of books out there trying to tell people better ways to parent, all these kinds of things. And, and it, it seems like a lot of those books are, are based more on experience uh, that, that the author has had than, than on academic discipline. How is your book different? Well, I've researched, I cite the research for over, I think it's over 200 uh, research papers that I cite as I'm explaining what you're supposed to do. And this is what's happening in a child's brain. Here's the research behind it. This is what it's capable of. Okay, so that's the theory part. One of the things I say uh, for promotion is that you don't need a degree in education or in psychology to raise your child if you have my book, because I've already done that for you. There you go. There so you that's go. the theory. But then I give them the practice. I've got over 400 activities you can do with the child, again, divided into the, the different dimensions and age group so that, okay, you've got a child who seems to have some emotional issues. Here's how you deal with it with, at that age group. And here are some simple, fun activities. And this is what you can do. I'm particularly intrigued by the idea of raising children, like you say, I mean, it's fulfilling the title of the book, The Promise of the Premise, raising four-dimensional children in a two-dimensional world. It seems like these days more and more kids are on their phones, on their computers, and not, not in the world. What can we do about that? Yeah, and that's what the title refers to, a two-dimensional world. 
and basically try to get them off the phones. Right. And the best thing to do is to start early. Uh, the best research says no, absolutely zero screen time in the first 18 months. And this is, and uh, I think one of, the, one of the websites did a study and about half the parents think it's okay to put the child on the screen at a, at a year old. Hmm. And they're, they, you know, the child's brain has difficulty figuring out that that isn't real, that it represents something else. But he can get mesmerized by it. Therefore, it's an effective babysitter. Right. And it makes the parent life seem easier, but it doesn't make the child grow properly. Right. There are studies that, that show that the more screen time you spend preschool, the lower your grades are, the lower your uh, cognitive functions are. It's even connected to being overweight and uh, asthma. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, screen time is, is an issue, I think, for all of us, right? We're, we're, uh, it, it has become so pervasive in society. I remember when I got my first iPhone and I was working at a company that to that point we couldn't the the on on the computer at work we did not have access to personal email and I was working a job that meant that I was there during all the hours that any business could get done uh, any personal business on it Monday through Friday I was there from 8 a.m. to 10:30 p.m. there was no chance for me to, so in a way I needed to kind of be able to deal with with some personal business occasionally to call the bank have something reversed deal with with whatever. And so you take a break to do it, but I couldn't access my personal email. Having that suddenly in my pocket on the phone became very quickly an addictive hit that you could just grab it anytime you were bored, anytime things were slow. And that's what we've started to do. I mean, everybody just picks up the phone anytime they've got uh, one free moment and has, and with, without any idea. We're losing. I mean, as adults, we're losing the ability to to communicate, to to emotionally satisfy without having it be from some external some external force. I mean, it, which is which is tragic. I cannot imagine the damage that that must inflict because it's already inflicted damage on me as an adult, as somebody who theoretically, ostensibly, has some ability to emotionally regulate. When, 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 when you're a, a child, you're going to get set up for, for, for a lifetime of addiction to a lot of different things if, you're, if, that's, if that's just the, the first thing that's, that's stuck into your hand. Yes, yes, yes. We've got to watch that. So, I mean, what, again, what, what do we do? How do we get them off the phone? Okay, no screen time the first 18 months. That's difficult, right? Because the, the, when you're a new parent, you're dealing with something that, that you don't fully understand either and not getting a lot of sleep and just desperate for that one moment of quiet, of, of, of time to, you know, just mommy needs to take a bath. Like I, 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 have got to, I, I, I just need one, one please precious moment. And so you're sitting there perhaps 
we're at a family dinner or something and the, the kids being loud and the easy thing to do, the easy thing, right? Seems like you said, like it makes the, 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 the life easier. Hand the phone to the, to the child, put it up there playing, I don't know, Peppa Pig or whatever is age appropriate. And, and, and now you're, you're, and no, and no, no disrespect to Peppa Pig. And like you say, it mesmerizes them. It takes them away. What do we do? How do we, um, what are the alternatives? What can we offer to kids instead of electronic devices? It's easier to wish you had a privilege than to take away something you think is your right. And so the earlier you start, the easier it will be. Yeah. Why does a first grader need a phone? <laughs> okay. So you, you hold off. Even the social media companies say you can't join Facebook until you're 13. Right. Nobody follows that, but that's their way of saying, oh, we're trying. In the meantime, they've got not only the best engineers in the world, but algorithms figuring out how to, give, how to keep your attention and keep yep. you on their page by yep. giving you just this little tiny hit of like an endorphin. Yeah. Yeah. And... Video games, same way. Video games are designed the same way. Whether it's a kill or whether it's just some points, you get that little shot of endorphin. And when you're a teen, especially, you're very susceptible. Yes. More susceptible than adults to that little hit. And so it's no wonder that screen time is more addictive, literally addictive, than real life because real life doesn't have those little hits of endorphin. Right. Right. Well, so and what do you I, do? Yeah, what do you do? So you you set limits, and I've got uh, in in one of the chapters I set the limits of just a, a good screen policy. For example, screen free zones, not in the kitchen, not in the car while you're driving, not in the bedroom at night, and even the parents have to follow that. I was just going to say that's the key is you've yes. got to set an example. Because I, I can't be the parent sitting there every time I oh gotta be on my phone looking at the looking at everything while they're while I've told them they can't uh, do this right you just start, do as I say not as I do but you can't do yes. that no, you're, that you need to be setting yeah 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 so that's one of the things uh, all the phones should be in a charging station away from the, the from all bedrooms all of them together at all night so that nobody can get at them. With the teen, especially, you negotiate. I, I only want. I, I know you've got to spend, do your homework on the tablet. I know you've got to do your homework. Blah blah blah. And you've got this, and you're going to have some time to talk with your friends. Let's say an hour a day. Oh no 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 no! I need at least two hours. Okay, two hours a day. How about an hour and a half? Okay, you negotiate. You get right. your whatever the teen agrees to, and then the teen quickly finds out she wants to be on there three or four hours a day. Right. And she said an hour and a half or two hours was good enough. Now you've got something to enforce because she agreed to it in the first place. Right, right. And we're having a discussion. That's the other thing. Once, once you get to a certain level, you can start to give your reasoning to say, look, these devices have been shown time and time again. We've got all the research here that, that they're not a net positive in, in, in several areas. There are certain things. 
treat them as a tool, let's say, right? This is a tool to do your homework, to access the internet, to get information when you need it, those kinds of things. But as far as connecting with people and finding those kinds of connections that we all crave, we all want the the human interaction and all those kinds of things. That's much better done offline in the real world. You know, I I look at the the movie Ready Player One, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners have have seen, where everybody logs into the Oasis, and that's just where they do everything. That's where they meet everybody. That's it's all online. It's all in the in the ether, and to 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 at the expense of having face to face time, which you know, the, let's let's be honest. That's where the the good stuff happens. It's not when you're not when you're sitting there trying to live on your on your on your magic phone yet again. No, and yeah. the whole texting thing to my generation is insane. <laughs> Why am I going to sit there and try to text a paragraph when I could say the same thing in 20 seconds? Right. And but now the cool thing is you can FaceTime Right. And when you FaceTime, now you see my reaction to what you say. That's right. totally missing in a text message. Yes. So you're not getting that human interaction, that reaction. You don't know emotionally how the person feels about what you said. Right. Yeah. So very well, and, important. You know, I, I mean, we can we can go on and on about this, and I obviously have opinions, but the the I it, it's easy. I mean, for for some of us who who hit technology say right at the right time where we remember the before times and the after times when when texting was not yet a real big thing yes maybe we had it early on right they introduced sms messages and you could sit there on your nokia brick phone and and maybe kind of type something out and it was useful for things like i'm here oh cool okay you know i'm uh, you're you're over there just arrived running late quick things those are the kind of things that text messaging, in my mind, was meant for. And if you had to and you were sitting there, you could you could jot one out. But back in the day, when I was young children, they, <laughs> you, you, you used the phone as a phone. I mean, we, I, I, I come from the time when you, you turned the phone on to make a call, turned it off and put it back in the glove compartment. You know, that you, that you, I mean, nobody was talking on their phone while they drove because you were pulling over trying to figure out where you were or all that. And we had MapQuest and, and, and those kinds of things, just trying to figure out directions or even worse in LA, the Thomas Guide. But, um, well, not worse. The Thomas Guide's great. I still have one. But the, um, the, the fact is, we've gone through these periods where, Technology has offered us new alternatives that aren't necessarily better, that that don't that don't always offer us an improvement, but they just become the de facto standard. Oh, I'm going to send a bunch of text messages to to get this out of there again to to obviate the need for having an actual conversation when somebody might be able to respond. Heaven forbid somebody actually be able to, in the middle of it, interrupt me and tell me, oh, wait, no, you've got it wrong. Oh, 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 heaven forbid I couldn't be the master of my domain and send just messages out into the world as tweets and tell everybody what I think and share my inane thoughts that pass through my head. All this is is easier said than, said than done in, in some ways for for the, the struggling parent who's working and, and doing all these things. How, uh, with these activities... How 
do they, why is it important? That's, that's what I really want to get to is why is it important that we focus on these things? What are we, what are we going to miss if we don't? Especially the emotional. And I think back to my parents and they were wonderful parents. They loved me. They took care of me. They supported me, but not a whole lot of emotional education. They didn't have the tools. Okay. So I give them the tools right at the beginning where let's start with a two-year-old and all of a sudden the terrible twos come and he's got this and all of a sudden he's got this anger and he doesn't even know what it is and he doesn't know how to deal with it and if you just say if you just start by saying wow you look angry okay now that's what that feeling is okay so you start by naming it to tame it okay i now i know what anger feels like now i know what sadness feels like all right now the next step how do you manage your emotions yes and so there's a one of the the oldest thing that you probably remember if you're angry count to 10 what does that do it takes you out of the amygdala the emotional part of your brain that wants to react and punch somebody in the mouth puts you in the prefrontal cortex the logical mathematical part of your brain and so you count to 10 and by the time you get to 10 you're not responding emotionally, you're responding more logically. One of the things uh, that I do, one of the games is to, it's called, but I'm gonna be. And so once the child learns, oh, you're angry. And okay, so let's talk about opposites, Andrew. What's the opposite of sad? Happy. So now we, learn, now we play a little game. I feel sad, but I'm gonna be? Happy. I feel angry, but I'm gonna be? Satisfied. All right. And so now that we've learned that game and we play it a few times, all of a sudden, Andrew gets really, really angry. And I say, Andrew, are you angry? Yeah. But you're going to be and he's happy. And OK, so now he not only learns to name emotions to tame them, but he learns how to change a negative emotion into yeah. a positive one. Yes. Yes. Right? So. You know, I need to do tools. all this myself. I need to do all these tools. <laughs> I mean, we need to, I need to have somebody there to, to, to do these things for me. I, these, so these are tools. These are, these are things Absolutely. that, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we're, we're just like in the toddler and preschool years. Uh, and so they, they work all the way up into the adolescent years where you start developing what's called an internal locus of control mm-hmm. where your opinion is more important than the other person's opinion. And how do you know the other person's opinion? Well, let's play a game called what's his agenda. And so we watch an ad on TV or we watch Fox news or MSNBC, whichever one you don't like. And what's his agenda? What's he trying to tell me? Yep. Right. And so it creates that, okay, that's his opinion, but that's not my opinion. And then when your daughter's out with her boyfriend and he says, well, if you love me, you'd sleep with me. <laughs> she says, what's his agenda? What's his agenda? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, that's what I appreciate about that exercise in particular is it starts a conversation that most parents don't have with their teenager, which is the world is not always what it seems. Uh, there. <laughs> There's, and there we go and, online again. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. And, and the, the world isn't always what it seems. And people have sometimes motivators that aren't always clear that you need to think through 
that 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 things are also not as black and white as they might seem. That that we need context and we need uh, clarity and we need to understand some background. And until you get that, you really can't make a decision. And also, I mean, as long as I'm just spitballing here, the the fact is, so many people get there, and I've said this on on probably ten episodes in the last uh, couple of months. A lot of people get their their everything, their value system, their their vision, their opinions from other people to through 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 high school and and even into college. That what you pick, what you do, who you are is so much defined by the world around you instead of your own internal value system. And if you start to think about that stuff as an adolescent, what's his agenda versus mine? What's his opinion versus mine? To, to also formulate those things. Yes, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, and opinions. You know, I've, I've got an opinion on opinions. Uh, <laughs> everybody, uh, people like to say, we're all created equal. Yes, that's true. But we don't develop equally. So we're all equal under the eyes of the law, whether black, white, sure. old, young, smart, you're still equal under the law. But... A professor of psychology's opinion is probably better than my little brother's opinion. And so some opinions are better than others. And you've got to question what, you know, what, what person, what research, what thought, what reasoning is behind that opinion. Yes, yes. And the, what, something that, and, and maybe we failed in, in educating people, but something that that you need to remember when you're hearing somebody's opinion, whether it is an expert or not, beyond whether they are an expert or not, is the fact that expert opinion is the lowest form of scientific proof. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> that 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 you've got expert opinion. Okay. They've 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 looked at some stuff, they've kind of made an analysis of it, but they haven't tested it. It hasn't been experimentally validated. It hasn't been repeated. They can't. And once you get up to peer-reviewed, double-blind studies and and all those kinds of things, where something where where we know something is true because we've been able to replicate it, we've been able to duplicate it, we we've been able to see that yes, 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 this continues to prove true, and it's not just something somebody surmised or something somebody that. That, that that was their opinion that this would be the case. We've actually been able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt and, again, show it time and time again, that other people have been involved in validating that opinion. And right, let, if, I, if I may jump in and yeah. you count. All right. So you have focused on what I would call the mental dimension. Yeah. Logic, proof, the scientific method. Sure. And since, I don't know, we came out of the dark ages and the scientific method was discovered, people have become so enamored with it that they don't believe it if it can't be proven. True. Now we Very jump true. into the emotional dimension, love. Can you prove love? No. No, but you can feel it. Absolutely. But it, it should not be subject to the laws of logic. Right. And I take that into the spiritual dimension, morality. And the spiritual dimension to me is is the realm of belief. Yeah. And you can't subject that to the laws of science any more than you can take the laws of science to, to judge religion. Right. 
Right. No, absolutely. And I mean, the, the there's a almost a cult around science and an appreciation for for only things that can be proven and only things that I can see and and all those things. And to to take it away from the kind of the feeling aspect, the thinking feeling. I the and the aspect of faith, right? Just because I can't prove it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I can't at the moment with the facilities available to me on this podcast prove that I am currently breathing a mixture of nitrogen and oxygen, which is a scientific thing, and yet I still can't prove it in this moment, right? But I know that it's there. I can't prove that my partner uh, likes me even. I have a pretty good idea, but I can't prove it. I, <laughs> I but I can feel it, and I can. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I can, that I can feel and sense and 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 move beyond that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So again, that's why the four dimensions, and you have to be aware not only that they exist, but as you raise your child raise them in all four dimensions yeah have some spirituality whatever that means to you well and what i really appreciate about the book is the fact that it it makes those things visible that that these are things we need to focus on because it would be very easy to neglect one of those areas without even meaning to 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 not concentrate on the the spiritual or even the physical because you go well we're 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 worried about the mental. We're we're that's the that's what school is focusing on. That's what society is trying to focus on, and how important those other areas are. And just to 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 flag that as something to to watch out for, something to 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 keep on. So I have a couple of questions. We're kind of coming to the end here, but I have a couple of questions that I ask everybody, and I wanted to cover those first. What do you think, and this can be broad or general, I mean, uh, general or uh, specific to your particular area, what do you think the biggest fallacy is that everybody buys into, but that turns out to be total hogwash? What's way overrated? Pretty much what I said earlier about the scientific method, Mm and that's the only way to judge things. That is the best way to judge things. And it's a serious way to, to experiment and we do it all the time and it works, but it's not the only way you can't put the emotional dimension into the laws of science, nor can you do that with the spiritual dimension. You've got to understand that they're separate. And yeah, and that's, I think so. Okay. And what, what do you think the most underrated concept is that people overlook? What are we missing? What do we need more of? health, especially in this country with like 66, 67% of people grossly overweight. Okay, we need to eat good food and we need to move our bodies and get good circulation. Yep. And that you know, a, a healthy body develops a healthy mind. So I'm a strong proponent of exercise, whatever you enjoy, and of good diet. Don't take what's easy, what's cheap, but actually try to eat some real food instead of yeah. something in a package. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's something we can all, again, whether it's for your children or for yourself, that's a lesson we can all take. I think Mark Bittman, who uh, is a food writer, 
kind of went out and and really challenged the belief, the assertion that good food was expensive uh, or or more expensive than junk. And he just priced everything out. He goes, you can put together a dinner for a family of four for about $12 that is much more nutritious than you could and cheaper than you could feeding everybody from your favorite fast food restaurant that, that to purchase enough to feed four people from your favorite fast food restaurant who shall not be named the, you can, there's tons of meals that you can put together quickly, easily, and, and less expensively that are healthful and 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 right for 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 you and your family and again easy and quick is the is also the key because we hey we live in a society that 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 needs things right now yesterday uh with the way that we've with we've boxed boxed ourselves in but that is available and and the if you if you live in the fixed mindset that that's not going to be possible it's not going to be but if you can find that stuff, you'll, you'll really do yourself well. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Folks, if you want to know more about Tim and purchase his book, you can find him on his website, 4D2D.com, as well as connect with him on LinkedIn and Facebook. Links to everything are in the description as always. And until next time, we don't have a problem. We've got an opportunity. <music> 